Happy We Met, Season 1, Episode 4. Today's guest is Joseph Snow. Joseph is a transplant from the East Coast in Israel whose passion for cultivating cannabis brought him to California. His cultivation method is called no-till, meaning he doesn't disturb or swap out the soil in his pots to create a live organic soil. You'll love this episode if you love geeking out about plant science and creating a healthy environment for your cannabis plants to thrive. I say it with confidence. Snowtail weed is the most fire I've ever smoked. This is Happy We Met. All right. Here with my guy, Joe Snow, smoking some of the famous... Joe Snow Weed, referenced <laughs> referenced on episode one of Happy We Met, actually, with Betsy. Um, and now here we are, podcast episode number four, with the man himself, smoking. What are we smoking? Uh, we're smoking today some Sunday Driver. It was a phenotype that was gifted to me about a year ago that I've been cultivating till today. Um, it's got one of the best terpene profiles I've experienced yet on Sunday Driver. I think it's classic to a lot of other Sunday Drivers you're seeing on the market today. Um, but I just find that with the expression that the soil, the note to living organic soil brings out in it, as you just saw, you can let us know what you think about it. It's amazing. <laughs> um, but it's pretty delicious and it's really a great um, daytime smoke for a situation like this, you know, very functional, very, very present, but functional high. Love that. Love that. Um, so this is one of several that you grow. I'm curious if you can just kind of talk. Um, you are not from, you're not from these parts. <laughs> um, well, definitely not from California. I was born in Brooklyn, New York. I lived there till I was about 13. My family then moved to Israel which I lived in Israel from 13 to 26. So I had about a 50-50 split in my life, zero to 13 and then 13 to 26 at that point. And then at the age of 26, after finishing both um, my mandatory service in Israel and then doing my degree there in psychology, um, I kind of fell in love with uh, cannabis during my college degree there. And I knew cannabis was becoming a big thing, and I had a little bit of uh, hobbyist cultivation experience at the time and wanted to try my hand at it here in uh, the state of California. I said, if we're going to try this, let's try it in the place where the competition's the fiercest and the hardest and see if uh, we could, uh, you know, make something that stands out. So Love I'm that. Here. Play on legendary mode. Yeah, I, pretty much. I yes. always talk about that. If you're going to play, you got to you got to play on legendary mode. Yep, if it's yep. a video game, if it's life or if it's growing cannabis. And I got to say, um, your product, what you what your end product looks like and smells like and smokes like is some of the best around. Can you how how do how, how do you do it? Uh, oh, oh, it's a how do you do it? I didn't realize. No, um, no but um, <coughs> excuse me. You, you mentioned it briefly, the, the no-till. So, yeah, so kind of what we do is very much related to building little mini ecosystems. We mainly do this in indoor settings or light deprivation settings. We're doing it a little less outdoor. It's actually very common in outdoor settings to use this type of cultivation. But we wanted to bring some of the natural principles of 
why nature works outside naturally the way it does without any human intervention and bring those principles indoors. And I'm definitely not the pioneer of this. I've definitely built, uh, I'm, I'm standing on giants here, you know what I mean, on the shoulders of giants. I'm by no means the individual who created all of this or whatnot, but I'm definitely an avid practitioner of it and someone who really does love both what it stands for and the product it produces. And just to give like a quick interjection, one of the things I've always said is that if this didn't produce a high quality flower or, you know, sorry, technically, scientifically bud, if it didn't produce that, um, I probably would not have been attracted to it. Uh, but I've been around the block when I first learned how to cultivate because back in Israel when I was doing it on a hobby level, um, you didn't have a lot of access to many organic ingredients necessary to make a really healthy living soil medium. So everything was kind of based on hydroponic principles. So you're basically force feeding the plant with water and collated nutrients, which are in the grower world called salts, um, especially in the organic grower world. I think growers who are in that in the other side of it, meaning into the hydroponic world, would just call it nutrients. But in the organic growers world, I guess the dirty term they call it is salts, even though that's not even 100% accurate either. But I love all your disclaimers. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I just <laughs> I got to give all the disclaimers because, you know, I'm not trying to make it come out to seem like I'm doing something extraordinary. But um, you found a way that works. Yeah, exactly. A, and, and you've tried several other ways of and growing cannabis. Exactly. And this definitely definitively for me produced a better chirping profile, a more resinous and more beautiful final product. Um, and just overall, the feedback and experience of people feel like from the actual high of it is they tend to say it's very potent, but at the same time, it's clean. There's something clean about it. It doesn't quite do to me the same things I'll get when I smoke things that are grown in ways that I probably don't even know how they were grown. I don't know what was sprayed on it. I, you know, you don't really know. So that's kind of always been our mission, growing clean high-quality cannabis, and that's what No to Living Organics have done for us. Why do you think uh, that is the case? No no disclaimer needed, because this is just uh, a, your your opinion, but you cultivate with this method, and people consistently give you this feedback that it's a phenomenal experience. What is what's, What would be your guess as to why that's the case? Because I think that when you look at a living thing like a plant, it's the way it came into this world, and the way everything has come into this world is through a very very lengthy, very unique evolutionary process. And that evolutionary process is very much based around its surroundings and things that have affected it to grow in the way it has. And when you take those evolutionary processes from nature and you identify them and you manage to figure out how to emphasize those processes that are beneficial to the plant, what you end up with is a product that simply thrives in a way that you couldn't believe because you're doing more than just nature as is nature. You're saying, nature, I see what you're doing here. Let me take what you're doing here and let me try and encourage it. Let me try and promote that. Let me try and promote the w growth of worms, for instance, in my soil medium to create fresh earthworm castings on an unprecedented rate by giving them healthy mulch layers in which they can decompose. And it, the list can go on and on as to what these things are, these identifying factors are, but, and we'll get into them, I'm sure, but more. What are some of them? The, what, you well, just mentioned a couple. Well, I'll, 
I, I'll, for instance, I can go into depth into, I would say, one of the most important ones for me is either a living mulch or a dead mulch is important, but a mulch in general to keep the moisture levels of the soil at a certain level where it's not getting too dried out in order to allow for the growth of beneficials is one of those key factors. What are beneficials? Like what? So beneficials means anything that is a plant symbiote so something that works with the plant to help promote its growth and that ranges from their symbiotic nematodes symbiotic mycelium there are symbiotic mac uh macrobes which are kind of like bugs you would imagine mm. so there's so many insects and then there's an infinite amount of microbes that work directly with the plants and i would say fun uh, fungi like mycelium and bacterium are the two key important factors and the bigger things that you as a human can see with the eye usually tend to reflect what's going on on that microscopic level too so that mulch would be one of those key things and that's something that in hydroponic cultivation there is no mulch it's sure. in a rockwell medium and when you're force feeding the plant in that way and it's i just want to I got to make a disclaimer here. Sorry. It's good. It's not that there aren't hydroponic cultivators who are very talented and have done amazing things considering what they're using. I just am under the firm belief from what I've seen firsthand that the potential is so much greater when working with the plant's evolution. Understanding the plant evolved for billions of years in soil or maybe millions of years. Who knows? Who knows? I'm, not, I'm not an evolutionary scientist by any means, but the plant evolved for who knows how long in that natural medium. Maybe we should figure out what in that medium is good for it and keep making that happen. Right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, I I definitely think that it's unique. I've always been super impressed. What are, um, you know, what what are the things that you are looking for? Is it is it able to scale, you know, or is just the quality the priority, right? Because some people, you know, or, you know, some tactics are to scale. And I, I, honest, I honestly don't know, like, how how much can you scale this practice and to what degree um the quality and ensuring that you know you're still listening to the plant you're giving it what it needs and instead of having like a strict sop how can that like really so scale at that yeah that's actually one of the questions i get asked most often in regards to this cultivation methodology because people say well that's incredible that you're growing this product and it looks like this and that's great but can you do it on a larger scale and to answer the question there's actually already a few people who are trying to pioneer it on a scalable level within the commercial markets um, both in California and outside of California myself being one of those um, with a few partnerships and consultations I do we've been working on trying to perfect the methodology on a larger scale I would definitely say that your costs are a little higher because it requires definitely more of a I guess, critical eye of the environment and just more oversight and obviously a little more work because when you're working with something that isn't being done often, usually, and this is one of the biggest hurdles we're having in the no-till commerciability issue, I guess you can say, which I'll get into it further. It's not quite an issue in that way, but let's just say we're looking at it like this could be one of the potential issues. It would be that there isn't a lot of machinery made for no-till cultivation because for the past hundred years, since we've really been starting to make machines the way we do as a species, it's all been focused on classic chemical agriculture because chemical agriculture came into the forefront after we started tilling soil a lot because when we were tilling up the soil all the time, we were killing everything inside it and 
we'd have a really good first harvest because you'd break up all the little uh, micronutrients and macronutrients that were stored in these little pockets throughout the soil. So they tilled and they saw these great results. But by the second or third year of growing in already tilled soil, you've killed the things that actually made those pockets of nutrients that would usually allow a field to grow, maybe not as good as it did after you tilled it the first time, but... um, more sustainably than sure. it was after the second or third year. So because of that, you end up with the situation that they started creating chemical fertilizers. And with the chemical fertilizers, they started making all this machinery that was built around the principles of chemical fertilization. And that's why all mega farms in the United States right now, for the most part, use those type of practices. But it's not to say that th- even the U.S. government, which we know is not necessarily great at admitting they're wrong about something even if you go on their websites now um the department of agriculture they're starting to promote no-till um methods and i guess you can say small farm whatever right yeah so is it scalable yes do i think that we have where to go as far as creating the technology that makes it scale on like some super massive level yeah but on the level that we're talking about in cannabis cultivation, I'd actually say very doable. It's just going to demand maybe a slightly higher price point, but not more than what some of the highest price points are now. Top shelf is quite expensive. You know, yeah, it's, it's easy high, to find a yeah. $65, $75 yeah. eighth. You know, there were a couple hundred dollar eighths uh, yeah. you know, totally. over the past year. So um, you know, you're making a premium product, and that's the goal, right? The goal... Um, you know, through the iterations of cultivation is to make a premium product. Um, so what do you think, you know, what, what is it that's drawing you to, you know, commit yourself to this, like this, uh, practice and like become excellent and play on legendary mode, right? You can play legendary mode on a lot of different things. Um, what do you think draws you to cannabis cultivation as the game you want to play at this level? Well, I just love cannabis. I mean, <laughs> I really like, I don't drink at all. I really don't. I don't like to drink. It doesn't, and it's, I don't have anything against people who drink, God forbid, but I myself am not someone who is very into most other things in general. The only thing I like to consume personally is cannabis because I just, I love the way it makes me feel. I love the introspectiveness of it. I love the way. It feels like you're wearing a headband almost every time you smoke a cannabis. Like it's weird, just like little things. I love the way it relaxes me. I love the way it makes me think about things in just an incredibly unique way. Um, It just, it just speaks to me. So I love love cannabis in general. Like I really do. I agree. Yeah, (laughs) I was. I I I I loved what you just said. No, I'm not surprised. That isn't that what you're doing here? Yeah, I just yeah. I mean. Uh, yeah, reflective and, um, just focused, relaxed. Um, you know, one time someone, uh, asked me, um, if I was a medical patient and I said, I mean, I have a medical card, but I don't know if I would say like how much I really use it for medicine. And she was like, well, you know, how do you normally consume cannabis? And I was like, I don't know. Like sometimes I smoke weed and play video games with my friends. And she was like, well, does smoking weed and playing video games with your friends help you deal with your stress and make you less anxious? And I was yes. like, yes. Actually, ma'am, <laughs> that is exactly what it does. So I don't know. That's People amazing. pay a lot of money for that experience yeah. to, to de-stress and not be like worried. And um, I don't know. Obviously, it's not an end-all, be-all. It's not the 
it's not going to be the magic yep. solution for every single person and every single ailment. But And it's not for everyone. There's people who it's not for at all, just like alcoholism for some people. And it could be for another person, you know, as long as you know how to take it and be a productive human in at least a subjective way that makes you feel happy and not <laughs> not everyone hate you hate you yeah you know um, success is peace of mind uh, yeah exactly that you've done the best uh, <laughs> to achieve the best or something yeah so so i guess to answer your question is like why do it and why play it on legendary mode and why why grow cannabis it comes back to the fact that i love it and from that love i have of it as a plant i've always noticed that it was sometimes quite difficult to come by incredibly good incredibly high quality cannabis surprisingly even sometimes today when you're going into a dispensary you'll go into a dispensary sometimes and sometimes the products are subpar sometimes they're amazing sometimes there's you know and this is we're talking about mostly in the flower market here because flower market varies a lot it's dependent on season it's dependent on did this grower have this issue or that issue and trust me as a grower there are a lot of issues and you need to know how to mitigate them and deal with them and make sure that what's coming out is the best possible, but also to meet the supply um, that the market needs. And um, yeah. and yeah, and I was just like, I was just like, I love it. I, lo I kind of, like I said, I was already kind of a hobbyist grower and I was like, I wanna see if there's a demand for this type of product. And Did you start cultivating in Israel? Uh, a little bit as a hobbyist, uh, you know, it definitely was not within the realm of like commercial activity. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, but, but, just no. that, cause, but that was where because I was wondering, you know, you have to find this motivation and you come out here. Um, it's pretty wild. Yeah, it's been. And so what? So that was four years ago. Yeah, about four and a half years ago now. What uh, what have been some of the things that you would say you're like? you've either learned most or like you're most proud of what are some like moments over those past four and a half years um that like stand out as as significant memories um, getting blown up yeah sorry it's um, all good <laughs> let me let me put that on silent good um, lesson future yeah. podcasts i'll remember to make sure people have their uh, phones on <laughs> silent you can't i blame the sunday driver yeah <laughs> um Lessons I've learned, uh, I feel like the it's a lesson I'm still learning, and that is to honestly take a deep breath, especially when starting a business and building one. At the beginning, there's a ton of hurdle, and you go through some very trying times, but if you just keep at it and you notice that every week, every month, you know, at every increment, try and look back and say, on the overall, am I projecting towards something better? Am I getting better? Am I moving on to better things? Is it growing in a positive way? Is it growing in a positive manner? And how is, you know, just, you know, just being able to look back and say, I've come, wow. <laughs> you you've gotten you've made progress yeah that, yeah just just you're, like, yeah you're moving things forward you're you know brick by brick yeah and that's very hard to see when you're really at the beginning of it like i would say three years ago there were definitely a lot of points and this is not to sound like some classic like inspirational thing where like i was gonna quit or whatever because <laughs> i don't necessarily look at myself now and say i am where i exactly want to be i'm you know right. it's, it's a work in the process but i will say that I wish I could have like told myself then, 
just calm down. This right. is part of the process. This is all going to work itself out and just keep on going and do what you're good at. Yeah, just yeah, like <laughs> like if you're doing it and you're doing it well, it isn't meant to just become this giant thing which I'm honestly very happy it didn't because we see what's happened in the industry when everything went gigantic right away whatever. Yeah. It's it, very it just it falls apart. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just keep it, keep it, keep it tight, keep it small, and dial just keep it at in. It. Yeah. And, and something that I thought was interesting, we talked about the Sunday driver, um, but you, uh, how do you choose uh, the phenotypes and the genetics um, that you use and that you like prioritize, and how how do you go about selecting um, what you grow and what do you look for in a final product? So I would say um, all the things I'll bring up are equally important. There's not really much about hierarchy because if there's enough of these that are valid, then other things that are of the same level can be overlooked. But it requires, I would say, at least three of the following things. The uniqueness. So is it something that there's a lot of or not a lot of? And of course, we're talking about Sunday Driver here, but I don't look necessarily at the strain name. I look rather at the cultivar phenotype. So meaning, as just like 101 here, if you have the strain Sunday Driver, you could have five to six different iterations of it. So the iteration I have and the genetic clone that I work with, which is always identical every time, um, it has to have something unique to it. It has to have a lot of aesthetics to it so it has to really I prefer if it looks just very crystallized you know I think just people enjoy looking at it yeah. you know one of the things I remember loving when I first started consuming cannabis was that you knew when the stuff had a lot of crystals on it it was going to give you a really nice effect so you kind of started associating that third would obviously be the effect itself effect has to be very present it can't be that you consume it and it's kind of eh. and some strains are kind of like a little more mellow, whatever. And because I'm in the business of cultivating really high quality cannabis for people who love cannabis, yes, I'm not ashamed to say that it tends to attract a crowd of people who like a higher potency, who like more of a stronger effect. So the effect is very important. Then obviously the terpene profile, so the actual smells. And all of these, by the way, base back into that uniqueness thing because it needs to look aesthetically unique. It needs to have a unique effect. It has to have a unique terpene profile. So it all actually does kind of tie into that first one. Um, and the terpene profile needs to be different, obviously, throughout each strain. I, you were asking me earlier today about a strain I used to grow, grow called Jelly Bean. I love Jelly Bean. Everyone loves Jelly Bean. <laughs> jelly Bean, it, it has a special place in my heart. I no longer have the cut around because at the time that I was growing the Jelly Bean, um, I came across a different strain that had a lot of similarities to it. But for me, the plant was a little bit easier to work with, a little bit of a higher yielder, which sometimes you do need to make that decision. What do you mean easier to work with? Well, it's an easier to work with plant in the sense that it's more vigorous. So each cultivar, like my, for instance, my Sunday driver, although I love it and it's probably one of my prettiest strains, I grow very small amounts of it. And the reason for that is it is not a very vigorous plant. It looks very green and healthy while it's growing, but it grows at a rate that is extremely slow. While, for instance, my Go Time and this Mirage grow at rates that are extremely fast. Now, the Jelly Bean I had w had a medium vigor, so it wasn't necessarily like the Sunday Driver where it was too slow. But for me, it was actually more of issues with the 
end product's stability. Mm. Jelly Bean has a little bit of an unstable line in it, and meaning that through the genet through the genetics it was crossed with, there's some kind of either herm or hermaphrodite or kind of sexual issue that the plant has. And it never really caused too much issues for me, but for me, I don't I didn't like having to work with and worry about it as much, while the Mirage was a little bit more of a stable strain. And again, higher yielding. And again, a lot of almost like, like if I kept Jelly Bean and Mirage around together, you would kind of be like, they kind of smell the same. So right. it, it kind of creates that situation, which one do I want to keep around more? And that's happened with several strains of mine. For instance, I one time had a um, Granddaddy Purple, and I got a Grape Ape. The Grape Ape just looked better, more purpley, had a better smell, grew better, was more vigorous. Grape and Ape we go. Yeah, Grape Ape we go. I'm not going <laughs> to grow Granddaddy Purple. That's kind of like the, you know... The, not, the unwanted, you know... More classic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> More classic. You know, it's not to say that there aren't Granddaddy Purple cultivars that are amazing. It's rather to say that the Grape Ape just showed that within that pool of, let's say I have one strain to grow that will emphasize these aspects of yeah. the cannabis plant, I'm going to pick that one. And that's kind of, if you look throughout my strain profile, like I have a Go Time, one of my probably most known strains from the people who know about what we do. And... The go time has an incredibly strong cheese profile. I'll probably never bring another cheese-like strain onto the table because of how the go time grows, how it tests, how it looks, basically everything I just said. So it hits off all those things, and that's kind of how we do it. Um, it's awesome. I, yeah, I see something special. I keep it around. That's pretty much it. Diamonds, got to be able to find diamonds. Yeah. Know the excellence to, to make excellence. Um, well, that's awesome, dude. I mean... Um, well, I remember, yeah, the very first time uh, I met you was at Outside Lands, and you had brought some of that go time, yeah. and it was like, I grew this, and we smoked it, and it was just like, wow, we, I need your number, and we need to be friends, and I need to understand <laughs> what's going on here, so... Um, I think I think we should go next to the go time after this. I'm super down to smoke right, some go awesome. time after this. Um, well, right on. I super appreciate uh, you chatting and talking. Uh, this was super fun. I am very much so happy we met. You're a great dude. And uh, I love geeking out on this sort of stuff with you. And I appreciate you sharing. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe on Spotify or Apple Music. You can also stay up to date by following on Instagram at happywemet. For more information about the awesome people featured on this podcast, visit happywemet.com to learn more about them and find their contact information. Your time is appreciated. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Happy We Met.